0: awake after all the turkey this weekend (laughs) well it's pretty wonderful to uh... how many of you had a small child buzzing around I know I heard somebody who said they had a two-year-old buzzing around that's a pretty uh, deep commitment there Um, I think you uh, get to have an extra couple of servings of apple pie if you have a two-year-old just because you burn all that off just trying to keep up Ah, that's lucky. You know, they aren't all polite. Some of them are quite, quite, quite little tumbleweeds. So um, I was uh, blessed this uh, holiday to have my family here. And uh, we have this tradition. We play apples to Apples. And I think everybody has this tradition in, well, not everybody, but many people do, because it sells many, 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 many copies. And so uh, there's expansion packs and re-expansion packs. And, and the idea with Apples to Apples is you have a card, and you play the card down, and then other people try to figure out what you would pick. Now, our family has a wicked sense of humor. We, we like irony, we like to go across from what the meaning is, So, um, if we have uh, a word like, you know, um, oh gosh, I I need an example. Something like, you know, solemnity, you know, something really solemn. Um, Somebody is very likely to play fluffy bunnies on that particular card and have their card chosen and win. (laughs) And and that's kind of how we do it. so, the card that came up at the table rather early on in the game was the card uh, Trivial. And that got played down, and everybody handed in their thing. And among the selections, I don't remember any of the other selections, I don't know why I wouldn't remember all the others, but the word sermon did come up. <laughs> And down it got played to the uproarious laughter of the whole table, right? Because we—they live with the preacher. They—they they know what they're in for. They're, they're uh, poor things. And there used to be this joke about being trapped in a car with mom. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, you can't get out. It's moving. It's a freeway, and she's going to try to interpret First Corinthians for you. Get out while you can. <laughs> um, so, so. Um, sure enough, that card won. So, genius play. And, and a lovely, lovely example, a lovely example of the tension that we hold in that. Right? That sermons in some ways really are trivial. You can never, ever get there. You, you can't even touch all that you want to say or do or be. They can never, ever get there. But on the other hand, they're so important. Taking a story to the next step. And as we read through the good Samaritan, uh, Samaritan, the Samaritan woman, the story of the woman who comes to the well of water and Jesus is there and they exchange a conversation around what living water is. I've heard this story lots and lots and lots. Breaking it down into four became very obvious that the part we treat as trivial, the part of the story that we tend to skip over and we don't really talk about and isn't generally part of the story when we tell it, is the sermon part. It's the part right at the end where Jesus speaks about the harvest, where he takes that story and the disciples come in and they don't know what's going on. And Jesus uses that moment to give his disciples a next layer. A next layer of teaching. But we don't, you know, it's trivial. It doesn't seem to fit. All of a sudden he's talking about the harvest. A minute ago he was talking about living water. A minute ago he was having a scandalous conversation with a scandalous woman. Way more exciting in the beginning of the story than when he's casually sitting there and talking about the harvest. But it reminds us. He puts the living water into generational perspective. The Samaritan woman has come up from the the village carrying water. This is a really little water jar. Her jar would have been much, much heavier. She has to come to the well when none of the other women are there nobody's there. She doesn't get along with the other women of the village partly because she doesn't have a stable home life for whatever reason. She's been married numbers of times and these types of marriages (coughs) tend to be around making permissible under law things that would be impermissible otherwise but they have nothing to do with love. That's the kind of life she has, through her own choosing or not. So she has to come to the well when it's hot, when it's really heavy to carry the water jug. She has to reach deep into the well because the water level has fallen. The times when Jacob was there, the water overflowed. Not anymore. She lives in a town that's been split North and south, in some of the same ways our own country gets split. Different perspectives from different sides, vying for who has the right God. In Jerusalem, they have their holy mountain, and the temple is in Jerusalem itself. In Samaria, the temple is built on Mount Gerizim. That is their holy space, their holy mountain their understanding of where Moses saw God. Who's correct? She puts down the jug and she listens to Jesus say, if you listen to me, if you want to ask for water, I can give you water and you'll never be thirsty again. And at first she takes that very very seriously. Like, you mean I never have to come here Again? I never have to walk the walk of shame where everybody dislikes me, stares at me, glares at me. I have to come all the way up here. I'm lugging heavy water. It's noon. I never have to do that trip again. I want that water. Tell me about that water. Give me that water. What happens is almost an alternate state of consciousness experience. This woman, like Mary Magdalene would later on, encounters the living Christ. Jesus shows her a little bit bigger picture talks to her about being truly alive, about connecting the water that we drink with the living water that actually sustains us on a much more deep level, sustains whole communities. We, We can't do without it. We've talked about the great rivers that flow through southern Oregon, the Rogue River and the Klamath and the Umpqua. Imagine, what would Oregon be without that living water? And we, today, we can take a look at that wisdom that Jesus shares in that moment and wonder, why do we not take our water a little more seriously? Why is it that when there is a group of citizens and human beings that come forward to protect their water, that's like a weird thing that happens? that's something that would be newsworthy. How easy it is for state and corporate bodies to sign away the rights to be alive. The living water, that, that keeps us alive. She puts down the jug goes into the city to tell the people what she has heard. She doesn't need the water jug for that. It would be very, very heavy to lug the water jug all the way into the city. She has just had an encounter with the divine. Jesus has told her the day is coming when we are not going to fight about whether it is Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. The day is coming when the good news when the desire to touch that which is holy and divine will fly out globally. As we know each other more, as we read about each other's lives, as we learn about our neighbors, we see all across the world all these conversations about who is God and what is precious and how do we have life. That's what that word Savior means at the end of that. We make that word big and Fancy and put some Christian stamps all over it, but the truth is it's just about saving your life. And it could be um, something incidental back to our wonderful house and how, uh, you know, you're here there and you're talking to somebody who, uh, um, you know like, have anybody been to like a concert and you run into an old friend, but there's a reason they're kind of an old friend, like, you know, maybe they're like an old flame. And, you know, you really don't want to catch up with them. And then uh, somebody, your good friend that you're with, notices your, like, discomfortable body language and comes over and says, Oh, my goodness, you have a phone call. And as you walk away, you go, Oh, thanks for saving me. We use that word in all sorts of different contexts. And yes, sometimes we're talking about salvation with the big cross like Christ enthroned, that this is the way if we want to actually live together and love together and have a good world and have our children grow up healthy. This is it. This is what salvation is. About 100 years ago, a group of Christian theologians took us into, like, la-la land with with this word salvation, as if we're all going to beam us up off the planet. It really just doesn't matter what happens to the planet. And salvation isn't to be found here, but only in the clouds. But the book that we say we love doesn't talk about salvation like that. Salvation is real, right here, right now. Salvation is in coming on Community Tuesdays and feeding somebody who's hungry. Salvation is learning to care for each other. When Jesus talks to the woman at the well, he doesn't just heal the woman, he heals generations of divide in that one moment. We can do that too. We, in us, the power of love in Christ when we act Christ can make that much out of what we do. We don't make it, but Christ can. There he is, talking to the Samaritan woman. Generations of conflict. Intermarriage that is unacceptable to the Judeans. She is an unclean person in her character, in her biology, in her habits. And there is no way she could be clean enough. No Samaritan could be. Jesus invites her into the very same salvation that he he invites everybody else into. He sets the goal higher. It's not about the mountain. It's not about the temple. And she takes that message into the city. Generations before her enter into the story with a vase for water and generations to come enter into the story in Samaria when she preaches based on this incredible experience that she just had and is so moving and compelling to her hearers that they come and see shifting generations to come John's the book of John's John's book was written for Samaritans and Judeans, for Babylonians, for Greeks, for Romans. They were a hodgepodge group, and they found each other, healing generations behind and moving generations forward. My husband and I, we um, honeymooned in Victoria and Vancouver, B.C. And the year we went there, which was only a few years ago, Uh, they had the Vancouver Expo. And so there were these booths from all around the world. And at that time, China was more closed than it is now. And there was this beautiful uh, display in uh, the Chinese booths of these carvings and these tapestries. The most amazing, beautiful things you've ever seen in your entire life. And we learned that it took generations of craftsmen to complete these. Generations of People worked on these. When you were in the midst of working on them, like Jesus says, the harvest. Don't you plant seeds and another harvests and in turn you plant you harvest what another person planted? Here in our culture we're taught to do it ourselves to be bootstrap people, you know, if you haven't earned it yourself, if you didn't carve it. Nobody can carve these things. And look what happens when we do it together. And when you're in the middle, when you're the middle child in that speaking as a middle child. I don't get to see the beginning. I don't get to see the end. But you know what? That all comes together. My part is no less important because I'm carving the eyes of the dragon and that's going to take my lifetime. As Jesus says, I am being fed because I am working on accomplishing what God is doing. reflecting on Christ and throne today and the generations and what it means to have a, a Jesus a rabbi, a teacher who is a man, person dusty, sweaty, full of microbes show me the next picture I brought a picture today this is I'm going to mispronounce his name anyway but I'm going to try it Amadullah, Amadzi, and he is an Afghan refugee resettled through the Church World Service and United Methodist Church in Virginia. This is his new home. You can see it's very plain, nothing too fancy, the equivalent of a three-bedroom house in Judea. Something about his picture just transported me. Maybe it's the unibrow. I love a lot of people who have unibrows. He is holding his one-week-old daughter, Afsana, who was not born in a refugee camp because he and the family found their way here. I don't know anything about this man. I only have the photograph. I can't imagine what his life may have been like. Was he a herder? Was he a city dweller? Does he have a degree? Does he have brothers? Did his wife make it through the birth? In one week in the Christian church, we go from Christ enthroned to Theotokos, Mary. We often see her pictured on a throne with a little baby. That's a big jump. And this one sort of for me it blended the two. He is a Mary figure here carrying out the love that Jesus says that Jesus has for us of being the mother hen tucking us into his wings. I don't know what will become of that child but I hope that because They are somewhere safe. Mary has a visit from the angel Gabriel saying that she will bear the Christ child in a setting not unlike this simple, safe. He brings all the generations forward with him to this new place. He does not come alone. He has grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-grandmothers. I don't know if those children are his or not. Like the Christ child when Jesus was born, born into a context. And what we forget when we talk about Mary is that God chose Joseph too, to be the father. And there he is. She will bring forward a whole new set of generations. It matters what we do right now. It matters if we are able to understand the promise of salvation, of living healthfully, beautifully with each other right now. The myth of the Messiah is that it'll happen some other time. As soon as we hit Advent, we move into a season of waiting where it's not here yet, but it's right here, right now. Right now, you have the power every single day, every moment to stand in the name of God, owning the divine power, the hope, the possibility, living into that. This world, for this beautiful baby, for this family, can you imagine what it must be like to travel across the globe, trying to find somewhere safe to be, and to land here in this messy place at this messy time what will become of this child what became of Christ that he became Christ enthroned that we recognized in his teachings in his words, in his presence that the way that he walked was the way that would get us there so here we are Today, Christ the King Sunday, we are headed for a baby, folks. That season begins next week. But even now, that child is here. Praise be to God. Let's just take a moment and reflect.